0: Three, two, one, and we are back. Julie, welcome to a day after our 29th anniversary. It is September 16th. So hopefully you guys are all um, having a fantastic middle of your month. We're hearing constant reports of people having their best months and really their best quarters ever. That's fantastic. And as hopefully you've been listening to this podcast on a regular basis, it is the number one listened to daily podcast in the nation for agents. You will know from our constant reminding um, that and prodding and pleading and praying that you guys don't back off in fourth quarter and that you understand that your new year has effectively already started. So build as much momentum into the new year um, Um, And uh, don't just kick your feet back and count your dollars. For those of you who are having great quarters, make it a great start of next year. That's how mentally and emotionally um, you should start thinking about your business. And then financially, the money will definitely follow. So Julie, I know you had nine coaching calls today. Yes. You had an hour-long premier coaching session. Mm -hmm. So what are you hearing from the front lines before we get back to our prepared material?
1: Lots of interesting stuff. You know, uh, strange (laughs) under the guise of strange things in 2020 strange byproduct of low interest rates and low inventory, lots of enthusiasm. I I wouldn't have predicted this, but agents are starting to stack up contingent on home sale deals. And for the longest time, that's just not been okay. Nobody wants a home sale contingency, but it's starting to get accepted because the overall belief is that everything sells and you can go in and be contingent for like two or three weeks because the market has confidence that it's not going to be a problem. But what that's caused and like, virtually no agents except our very grizzled experienced veterans have any idea what we're even talking about contingent on home sale right and stacking deals one's contingent on the next contingent on the next i've been hearing this a lot so uh i think that was kind of Roll strange and i and of course we have lots of questions about things that haven't been going on um you know these agents are learning a lot of new stuff lots of uh you know, just interesting things on the calls. Through the
0: pressure of having doing transactions. I'll say, I'll tell you what yes. I'm hearing, mm-hmm. especially all the agents that went after expireds last month. A lot of the agents who listen to our expired palooza a week uh, long uh, training on expireds that we did on the podcast is that the expired listing opportunity is counterintuitive and that you think because it's a hot seller's market, there won't be any expireds. But the reality is there's always expireds and no matter, no matter how hot the market is. And a lot of agents, um, I had two calls today probably, where people were really be- beating their heads against the wall unnecessarily about pricing. And so I'm going to give you guys a little secret. Pricing rules in a market like this, in most of your markets anyway, don't really matter. Because you can overprice something. Like the old rule is when you took a listing, expired any listing in general, but an expired listing it was either price, condition, or location as to the reason it didn't sell. And generally speaking, an expired is not going to change the condition dramatically. And as far as the location, you can't change it. So the only thing you could really do is get the seller to lower the price or as we Uh, refer to it as you know repositioning the house in the market so that it correctly reflects the market's expectations that's definitely a nicer way to break it to the seller Mm -hmm. that they're gonna have to lower their price well that is definitely something that's you know we've taught forever but here's the thing in most markets right now guys you can actually list the house at the previous expired price or in some cases more because of the nature of this market so your CMAs are looking back in history at pricing obviously they're using historic data and some of you guys that don't have real depth or breadth of experience in the real estate industry, you're just going to fall back on cost per square foot. You're going to fall back on mm-hmm. comps. You're going to fall back on all these things because you're, again, going to make a, you're going to look at the pricing of a house um, not dynamically enough. So here's, listen to your coach or maybe we're your future coach, the reality of it is, is that in this market, you can overprice it and you can get away with it. Julie, you're giving me an example of somebody that like completely, you told me about yeah, this yesterday.
1: Yeah, uh, one of our... Elite coaching clients in the Gatlinburg area, where she and I went over the comps together, we thought we were pushing it a little bit. Maybe would have and still hasn't made it through appraisal yet. But um, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers. It was something like 525. seemed seemed like it should be 499, but let's try 525. And competing offers drove it to 540. Yeah. So we'll see whether it makes it through appraisal or you know at what level. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. So don't discount the power of scarcity. That's right. That's basically it.
0: It's the FOMO thing, the fear of missing out. That's really playing. And and guys, it's not just in like, not to say 500 is a normal price range, but um, another experience I had just this morning on a coaching call... Um, a great coaching client who just listed a property for $30 million. And realistically, according to all the normal ways of, you know, appraising a property, the house is overpriced, but he's already getting real viable showings on the thing. And it actually might sell for $30 million. And guess what? If I remember correctly, this property had been on and off uh, the market for over five years with different agents and different brokers and, well, so that um, it had been expired. Yeah, been expired multiple times. Mm-hmm. Well, it was always withdrawn because they didn't let well, it expire. But the but the reality of it is, is there. Just remember what we're telling you guys. The main thing is to get the listing in this market. Just don't talk yourself out of the listing. Don't make it so that your CMA is the hill you're going to die on. You know, don't try to be right in these situations because there's an excellent chance when doing so you're going to be wrong. A lesser experienced agent who never has taken an appraisal class, mm-hmm. who doesn't have a CMA, fancy soft program they're going to tell the seller essentially a price that the seller wants to hear and guess what if that seller's motivated and this market is extremely motivated at least you know 90% of the country is the property is going to sell even for a number on pi- on paper that might look it's, like it's overpriced so i'd say from my coaching calls today those are the two yeah, prevailing definitely. messages yeah definitely don't lose
1: it over you know going nuts on your cma yeah. at least in this market now you know the points that we make about pricing now are completely counter to anything like a balanced market or a totally. buyer's market. So yep. you have to have some fluidity in your pricing brain and not talk yourself out of it. And not to drag it out. You know, I've had a couple of clients that that lost the listing opportunity because they took too long. And meanwhile, the seller got offers from people door knocking them yep. because there's no inventory. So right. you got to act with urgency and precision and flexibility. So like I said at the top of our podcast here, these guys are having to learn new skills To be competitive you know sometimes against the seller themselves but you were talking about expireds and expireds you know oftentimes it's price or it was the conditions that they were you know marketing in like maybe early covid days where nobody wanted to go out there are other you know factors one of our clients picked up a listing because the uh the agent that the seller thought they were going to use didn't want to see his house and asked him to send pictures to her now (laughs) right like you can't make this stuff up so sometimes it's because there's elaborate showing instructions or the pictures were terrible. There's a, something floating around about a $20 million listing. I think it's in California where it's all iPhone pictures and they'll just look terrible. Yep. You know, sometimes it can just be shoddy listing management.
0: There's a lot of, uh, I mean, just a, who knows, right? I mean, there, it's, really unbelie- it's unbelievably difficult to know exactly where things are going to go uh, in the economy. And here's the thing. It does not matter. Don't worry about it. It's not really what matters to you right now is you stay drilled down, you make hey while the sun is shining, you list as many properties as you can, you help as many people as you can, and you do your job. That's what matters. Don't get caught in all of the over analysis about you know anything beyond maybe 90 days. Because really, guys, at the end of the day, nobody has a clear looking glass going forward. We have given you our opinions as far as what the next year is going to be like, and frankly, probably for the next three to five years. And overall, there's a lot of of uncertainty over in the overall economy, maybe even in the global economy, but the truth is is in the US housing market, we see absolutely no reason for you not to be continuously incredibly excited and grateful for being in the real estate industry. Just today, just to sprinkle in a little, you know, economic news, the uh, the Fed said that they're projecting there's going to be low interest rates Artificially low interest rates. Someone might say, but who cares? An interest rate is an interest rate, right? Mm-hmm. For five years, so you're looking at essentially a a market that's never going to have an interest rate problem. Now, you might have different, you know, markets and segments of the markets, and you know, your local economies might ebb and flow depending on what employment's like. But the big, you know, bugaboo that always slows the market down the fastest are rising interest rates, thus rising payments, and also, unfortunately, always when there's a rising interest rate um, environment, you also have the mortgage bankers who start to get a lot more stringent in their lending requirements as long as frankly people can borrow money the housing market's going to continue to boom and we have the incredible you know convergence of the baby boomers and all these different, you know, generations of Americans that are um, rushing to either buy or sell real estate. Guys, you are absolutely in the right place at the right time as far as the overall market opportunity. So don't be fearful, even though you might hear negative economic news going into next year, especially because it's an election year. You know, you don't, you know, the whole thing. Just focus on the fact that your job is to be of service to other people and the people of which you've chosen to be of service to are your real estate customers. So Julie, before you get to your next point... Mm I want to remind all of you, as our way of being service to you. We have created the free coaching program. The coaching program went live last March. We're we're not planning on um, making the program available for more than six months. But frankly, because we've had thousands of agents join it, we're going to continue to do it. So if you're not in the free coaching program, please text the word SURVIVAL to 31996. Text the word SURVIVAL to 31996. And when you do, we're going to text you back a link so you can join the free coaching program. So you're going to get a link. You got to click that link. And then you got to set up your username and password, and then you can be in the free coaching program. There's like eight or nine free books that are sitting there waiting for you, guides, including the Real Estate Treasure Map, Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. Um, I mean, really fantastic stuff that you guys definitely need for the new year, even for now. And you also are going to be invited to attend the daily semi-private coaching call. So make sure you uh, go ahead and text the word SURVIVAL to 31996.
1: Yes. So we've been doing the Harris Rules for Prospecting, and we're sprinkling some of those on you. Uh, every day this week on the podcast, so we're on number 6
0: Uh-oh, hold on. Are we allowed to say prospecting? Aren't we supposed oh, to Oh, say- yeah, that's right, lead generation. Yeah, we don't pro- want to no, no. wig anybody out. We have to say proactive lead generation.
1: Proactive lead generation. Right. That's right, your number one job in real estate, <laughs> proactively lead generating. Okay, so point number six, have the mindset of someone who actually wins. Zig Ziglar said, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. Do you expect to set an appointment when you do lead follow-up or are you just, I hear this all the time, I got to get through my lead follow-up. Is that really the mindset of somebody who expects to set an appointment or are you just getting through it? You know, when you go to a listing presentation, do you expect that you are there to take the listing or have you fallen prey to the really terrible coaching that's been around and is, you know, totally not acceptable? Oh, you should expect to take them about 50% of the time. You don't allow that from your kids, at least the teachers hopefully don't. That's failing, right? So have the mindset of someone who wins. And this gets back to one of our my favorite Tim quotes, which is, do what you don't wanna do when you don't wanna do it at the highest level. If you're just getting through something, whether that's calling your your database or your lead follow-up, if you're in your head just getting through it, that's not doing it at the highest level. That's doing a pretty crappy job.
0: Julie's setting me up to vamp on that quote, but guys, that really is the essence of everything you want in life. And the whole quote is: if you want ever ever increasing levels of success in your business and personal life, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, right? You guys have heard us say that a million times, especially if you're regular listeners to the show and you bought the book Harris Rules, and you know. But have you ever thought about what the heck that means? I mean, you know, that's the thing is I don't know how many of you guys actually think about what it means. A lot of you, let's just say you consider it, it, it's just so funny how many times we've had this conversation. I often wonder, like maybe there's 10 or 15 or 20,000 people that listen to this podcast over time. And I always, I always wonder to myself, oh, they all like that, right? Do what I don't want to do and I don't want to do at the highest level, but they always so they'll go to the paces of going like, say, for example, we're going to use a gym analogy, right? And when, you know, Julie and I used to, when we lived in Texas before we moved to Puerto Rico, as longtime listeners will know, we're huge Orange uh, Orange Theory advocates. And we go every single day. Never wanted to go. Okay, so <laughs> we were doing what we were, didn't want to do. And we never wanted to go when we went. We'd go at 4 o'clock. So we were doing what we didn't want to do when we didn't want to do it. By the way, any o'clock would have been when we yeah. didn't want to do it because we never wanted to do it. Right? Yep. So we were doing what we didn't want to do when we didn't want to do it. But here's the thing. We would get to Orange Theory... And then there would be people in Orange Theory that were working out just beside us who were definitely not doing it at the highest level. They were on the treadmill just going for a walk and talk and talking to the person next to them. No sweat beating up on their foreheads. You know, people would, you know, ladies would show up with makeup. I suppose men too. I didn't look that closely. <laughs> that but, that's,
1: is in the book, by the way, our story about Orange Theory. Yeah. Your point.
0: But that's the thing, guys. How many of you are living these lives of essentially... You know, taking half measures, right? How many of you guys are living these 75% or 50% effort lives? It is prolific and it's become normalized, almost celebrated to somehow, you know, you can you feel like the victory is getting some level of success, all the while knowing you never actually left it all in the, all in the field, all the while knowing you didn't actually make as big of an effort as you otherwise could have.
1: Yes. And I have a perfect example of this from our premier coaching call today which was a newer agent, so, you know, has a little experience deficit, not entirely his fault, because at that point, you don't know what you don't know. And he did the right thing by coming to coaching and working on it, right? So I, kudos to him. But what he had said was, you know, I've been in real estate for about three months. I have an auto dialer. I have invested in, uh, you know, good ways of finding FSBO and, uh, for sale by owner and expired phone numbers. And I've been making the calls. I, I call every day. I've been making the calls. I've made hundreds of calls, but I haven't set a single appointment. And I said, well, this is because you've conquered only the first two parts of that quote. He's a podcast listener saying so mm-hmm. what we're talking about. I said, you're, you're doing what you don't want to do and you're doing it when you don't want to do it. But you're forgetting about the most important thing, doing it at the highest level. And then I asked him what script he was using. Well, it's something I got a little bit from downloading it online for free and a little bit from my broker, a little bit from you guys. And, and the rest of it I just kind of make up as I go. So when I so – There you go. You're what, not doing it at the highest
0: level. That's but when I hear that, yeah. when I hear somebody say that, I have to tell you every single time mm-hmm. my full shit meter goes off because <laughs> they must know yeah. that they're using – Why would anybody yeah. – y- think that a script that they patchwork quilted together with no previous experience in sales, not real sales, 99% of agents have no real sales experience prior to getting a license. And then most of them, frankly, never learn how to sell either. And that's why it's not working. Right. And then they think that they can somehow put together a script that's going to work as good as something that's proven to work. So when I hear that, here's what I think. They're actually intentionally creating an excuse to fail. Mm -hmm. They must know logically that their patchwork quilt script is not going to work or at least it's not going to work as high, you know, at any real meaningful level compared to if they use a proven script, that they're doing that intentionally so they always have an excuse. So they can always say to themselves, it didn't work because I need to tweak my script.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think to some degree, many of them believe that just doing those two things, just, you know, if I just make the calls, it has to work. If I just do what I'm not, you know, what I don't want to do. That's not going far enough. You know, there's a sign on Zoe's wall that says, is this my best work? Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to to get her to not just throw it together and just be done with it because she's always anxious to, you know, school gets in the way of play. She's, of she's six and a half. I, I know. It's right. okay when you're six and a half. But right. still, the thought is, is this my best work? And if I were to, and you know, again, I have to give credit to this coaching client because he told me he was going to record his calls and send me a couple of samples so I could help him, Right. Um, but if it's not your best work, how do you know? He knows because he's not sending appointments from it. But are you going to keep on banging your head into the wall? Or are you going to be like this coaching client who's getting help for it?
0: It's Steve Jobs, right? So Steve Jobs in the book, there's a story that um, Steve tells. Uh, I don't remember which autobiography or biography it was. But the essence of it was this dad was teaching him how to paint a fence. And evidently, this fence was going to be backed up to another fence. In other words, you couldn't see whether the back of the fence was painted or not. And his dad told him to paint the fence even on the other side that no one would ever see because, you know, he said you would know whether it was done right or not. So even if the rest of the world doesn't know that you're half-assing it, you'll know that you half-assed it. And the accumulative effect of having half-assed it basically means that you'll start half-assing other things in your life. And the long-term, again, accumulation effect of taking a bunch of half-measures means that you essentially, you you never really amount to much in anything in life. And then Steve goes on to say when he started making, um, you know, Consumer products, uh, he always would design everything so that even the parts that you didn't see, that you would never, and most you know, users would never come in function in contact with, and all the you know computers and whatnot that he was responsible for overseeing being made and designed, he always made them so that even the parts you'd never see, where you know. The, the, painted just in the front, just same as on the front side. Mm-hmm. And if you think about any great design, or if you think about any great business, or if you think about any great book, that's how they're designed because people don't half ass. And so it's interesting in a very profound way because I don't completely understand it. Why do you guys seem, all, why is there in society nowadays, why is it almost seen as a victory? To hack something or a Mm -hmm. victory to half ass something or a victory to shortcut something? Why is the mission not to do the real work? I can't intellectually understand that. It makes absolutely no sense because it goes against common sense. (laughs) So, why is it that so many of you be introspective, be brutal on yourself? If you're saying to yourself right now, Tim, I'm not like that, really? You're not? I bet you we could determine on a, if you and I were talking right now on a coaching call, I bet you inside 10 minutes, I could get you to, you know, fess up to at least 10 things that you knew that you were half-assing, right? And look, in real estate, here's the blessing. You don't have to be good at maybe but one or two or maybe three things. That's it. Really, guys, I'll give you complete permission to be terrible at everything other than proactive lead generation, pre-qualifying and presenting. Yep. You know, you can be terrible at everything else. You can never know how to work with a buyer, never know how to do anything with writing a description or taking a picture or putting a lockbox on a door or making a home brochure or worrying about your branding, your team, your logo, your websites, your whatever, okay? You can be terrible at all that stuff. Just be good at those three things.
1: I would add negotiating to that.
0: Yeah, well, you could also say closing, too. But really, the thing is, is even negotiating, Julie, we've had plenty of top producers who have the transaction coordinators who negotiate the contracts and then close the contracts. I'm I'm thinking
1: about like competitive buyer side, so you win for your contract. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, really, it comes down to being able to do what we're talking about with our uh, prospecting rules to, at will, create business for yourself. Right. Because virtually everything else takes care of itself. Yes. Right. You'll eventually be great at pre qualifying and when you figure out that you have to pre-qualify to have, you know, good quality business. The business forces you to get better at other things along the way, assuming that you know how to generate leads in the first place. So I have
0: another little thought for you. Why is that people think in business and life in general that they only have to be good at the things that they like doing? <laughs> okay yeah i hear that a lot Filted too i don't like doing it so i'm not going to do it yeah i don't like doing it i can't think of very many things in real estate truthfully mm-hmm. uh, that i like doing there was maybe yeah. a listing appointment i like listing appointments i like yeah. competing i listing like listing appointments winning. when you're competing against somebody <laughs> yes. who is Me good too. i didn't know i didn't but get, the
1: rest of it the the whole mechanics of it and the back and forth of it and the yeah no
0: and no. it's just gotten worse. That's Julie and I so they, sold real estate. That's
1: why it's called work.
0: <laughs> yeah, but so <laughs> it's so, so not to, called vacation. So to think you're supposed to be finding yourself, and this is supposed to be you know enjoyable all the time. That's not how life really is. If you're living the life of knowing that ever increasing uh, long term levels of success in your business and personal life come from
1: doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Don't forget the third part.
0: Right, and so what you're removing from your uh, essentially modus of operandi is the need to feel a certain way in order to basically get a certain result. The feeling a certain way thing is what betrays you ultimately. And again, this is a normal human behavioral pattern where you only really do things at the highest level or anything even reaching the highest level when you feel a certain way feel inspired, feel motivated, feel, feel, feel. The feelings are fleeting. And that's the thing that, it. you know, if you accept that and realize that, then you're going to start feeling actually more motivated, oddly enough, because you're no longer waiting around or looking for some external motivation. Guys, there are billions, if not trillions of dollars every year that are made from selling people external motivation. And there's tons of coaches and trainers and- Self-help. Self-help, all that stuff. It's all people that think that they have to feel a certain way before they actually take action. That is not true. The reason you think it's true is because you came up in an era where essentially everyone thought that was true. Mm -hmm. Everyone told you it was true. And essentially that sort of, you know, pseudoscience guru message is what's become prolific inside the mindsets of so many people. But if you want to be, the problem with that is, is you're always again going to have the excuse for not really doing anything at the highest level because you're going to go back to saying, I wasn't motivated. I didn't love it. It's not my passion. I didn't some version of feel like it. I
1: know. My, and, my favorite. It's not my personality style.
0: Yeah, not my learning style. <laughs> Ugh,
1: I know. It's so <laughs> terrible. But you know what makes it worse is that they're in an industry where nobody was really keeping an eye on them. Sometimes I run into this with, with our uh, coaching clients and I ask them, you know, if if you worked for Tim and Julie Harris Brokerage and it was a job job where you had to show up. And I said that part of the job, in order for you to make fill in the blank, whatever their financial uh, goal is, let's say it's 300000 this year. This is a job that pays $300,000, but here's what's required. You have to make this many calls. You have to stay up on your lead follow-up. You have to maintain listing inventory of at least 10 at all times. Would you tell me that you didn't feel like it if it was a job job? No, you would never take that to an actual employee, em, em, you know, employer type situation. You've
0: literally I just I mean, given even, me... even
1: think about the previous jobs. I, you know, I was a full-time Christmas elf. I, there's no way I would take that to the Wild manager of the Christmas store and to- say, oh, I'm not going to price these ornaments today because they don't feel like it. Even on the lowest level job, washing dishes, you're going to walk into the restaurant and say, I'm not going to do this because I don't feel like it. Give me a break.
0: Yes, Folks, you heard Julie say she was a full-time Christmas elf, and no, right. she's not smoking anything. <laughs> this is back when she was in college. Um, you know, before she graduated, she worked at a year-round Christmas store. And we do have That's Zoe. Awesome. We do have Zoe convinced, and I mean this quite literally, that Mama was an elf still is part it's still, elf. it's still part elf, right? And She and checks
1: my ears for pointiness.
0: <laughs> it lived at the North Pole. Okay, these are all true things.
1: Anyway, that slipped out. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. That was totally bizarre, Julie. <laughs> what kind of miswire is what? You're the one that needs caffeine today. I
1: know. I definitely do. But the point is that real estate makes it worse because nobody's following you around. So you think it's okay to only do what you feel like doing. That's not acceptable in other situations. Right. What if you go to get on a, a plane today to go fly someplace and the pilot's just kind of having well, a, a but down the, day? But the truth is Please. most
0: jobs don't require people to be uh, working at the highest level ever.
1: No, that's true. You get away with, you know, too much in a well, normal situation. When was the last
0: time you went, and there's kind of a, I mean, let's say pre-COVID, right? Pre-COVID, yeah. When was the last time you went someplace, be it any place, and mm-hmm. you had an experience where the person that was providing the service, you can pick whatever industry, yeah. doesn't matter if we were traveling someplace, where that person really really was doing whatever they were supposed to be doing at the highest level versus just calling it in.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I I can't think of one. Can you? Strangely, uh, our old vet in Laguna Beach.
0: Yeah, that's true. But Julie, that was a thousand years ago and that was was only a part-time vet. I know. So that was a thousand. I think
1: our window guy that came, he followed up with me. He told me when he was coming. He told me when he was going to be late. He told me who was speaking Spanish and who wasn't last week when we had a window repair happen. But it's very, very rare. Usually you walk away going... God, that was a terrible experience.
0: Or that was just an average experience. Which is
1: why you notice when it's a good experience.
0: Which is never, right? So the point being is the highest paid people in the world are the ones that are doing it at the highest level, whatever it is that they're doing, uh, when they don't feel like it. They're doing it at the highest level when they don't feel like it. And you guys are in an industry where you can set your own pay scale. You can make as much or as little money as you want to. If you remember that you can't be waiting around and thinking and treating yourself like you're some employee that's just basically putting in the hours mm-hmm. so you can get the paycheck, it won't work like that. So really at the end of the day, guys, it really does take those three you know, action items, if you will, and take them to the highest level every single day with the, how you choose to use your time. And just keep things super simple. You really don't need to be very good at more than, you know, Julie said said it right. There's five things in real estate that get you paid. Lead generation, pre-qualifying, presenting, negotiating, and closing, right? So there's those five things. But if you had to only be good at those three things, it's the first ones because that's where the money is in the that's whole right. industry.
1: And you can hire the rest if we're being You can. Honest, if you, you had to or delegate it or use technology. But, you know, that's it's what Jeb Blunt says in his book is that people who are really good at this and are not all screwed up in their head, they think about lead generation all the time, every waking moment, they are fanatical prospectors because they're not messed up about this. That's right. And they know that when they do that, the quality of their business is better, right? When you generate, you don't have to tolerate. So in fact, it's all counterintuitive to what people think that only do it, you know, if they feel like doing it, right? When you make yourself be great at it, you actually are buying your time back. Because you're purifying your business, you're adding to your numbers, you know, you're getting to your magic number of listings, and then you actually have the freedom. You have earned, you have bought your freedom for yourself. You're You're more more efficient, efficient. and in fact, the better you get, the less time it takes to do that, because you'll, and some of that comes with experience, where you'll sniff out a, a good lead from a bad lead, but... You know, the better you get at it, it it actually becomes easier. That's what people don't realize.
0: Now, I will say after you get really good at it and you get very consistent at it and you get to the point where you're consciously competent, Mm -hmm. where you don't have to think about what you're saying and the results are very consistent. What happens then is you discover your next problem is going to be fighting boredom because you're going to realize your business is boring. Boring in the sense that you're taking (laughs) lessons consistently and making money consistently. That's the kind of boring you want. Your goal in your business is to make it boring. Yeah. You do not want an exciting business. You want a boring business that's sort of like you, you know, the Julie and I, you know, it's working at the coal mine. Every single day you put on your helmet, you put on your light on your helmet, you go down the, you know, the, the coal mine with your pickaxe and your shovel and your bucket and your pet whatever canary. and your pet canary, <laughs> right? And then you, you're not allowed to come out until you basically are able to extract a certain number of, uh, you know, poundage or buckets full of coal. That's a real, that's the way to look at life in general versus you put on your situation. You're going to go down the coal mine. You get down there and you're like, I just don't feel like it.
1: I don't like coal. I don't
0: like (laughs) coal. I'm not in a coal mood.
1: I'm not passionate about coal.
0: There you go. You
1: know, you can prove that all of these points are right by following some of our coaching clients who are right in this zone. Something magical happens when I share with them that, you know what, since your number one job is to lead generate and to set new appointments every day. As soon as you set that appointment, you've done your job. Go do something else. I don't well, care. I because they close harder. They use their scripts more. They have more energy and enthusiasm.
0: Define what you just said. So I have got a new coaching client to what Julie just said. And his name is Dan. And Dan is doing a really good job. And here, Dan, if you're listening, I meant, I mean it sincerely. So here, I haven't told you about him, Julie. So you'll appreciate this. Yes. So he's followed the classic advice of burning the ships, right? Mm-hmm. So the old, the old story goes, and this is actually historically true, but hopefully I, you guys don't pin me to the, you know, for details on the actual historical nature of this, but the story goes there was a Spanish galleon that hit some sort of, you know, beachhead, and they were planning on invading this town that was um, some sort of, you know, whatever, whatever. So it was a, it was a sort of a wartime situation, The Spanish galleon had taken months to get to this particular place where they were going to unload the ship and the soldiers were going to go up and they're going to do their, you know, soldiering thing. And they get there and it turns out that the uh, country that they were planning on invading or the whatever was completely fortified. Cannons, guns, tons of soldiers. They were absolutely uh, underestimating um, the guy the you know the invading Spaniards were way underestimating how many people were gonna be waiting on the beach and they thought it was just gonna be a cakewalk they get there they realize it's like you know ten to one the number of people that are there and so the sailors on this you know the sailor soldiers on the, the ship are going like you know what Screw this. We're going to stay on this ship. You're going to turn this thing back around and we're going back to where we came from. So the captain said that isn't going to happen. So what the captain actually did is he burned the ship. So the soldiers had no choice as to, you know, they were either going to go down with the ship or they were going to have to go to shore and they were going to have to do what they came there to do. And guess what? Historically, they did do what they came there to do and they actually were victorious. Um, so I'm telling you this story because a lot of you guys, what you do is you never get off the ship and you never burn your own ship. You create too many options for yourself, most of which are predicated on buying leads. And so then what happens is you never actually do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level because you create essentially a reality where you don't have to. And so you're always going to have to tolerate the mediocrity that comes from essentially never really drilling down and doing, doing the real work of real estate. Well, Dan, to his credit, he was um, buying leads. And what he does, he stopped buying leads. He's cut off cold buying leads. And since our last coaching call, he started actually picking up the phone for the, well, not for the first time, but for the first time with the intensity that he needs to have in order to basically be successful at it. And he's starting to set appointments. And what Julie was trying to say is like normally when you're helping someone to learn how to proactively prospect, the first thing you track is contacts, then you track appointments, and then you track um, you know, the number of appointments that convert to a listing. So what we were doing is, and I was following that path with him, but he was, he only made nine contacts since our last call. Whereas reality is, based on his real estate treasure map, he should have been making nine contacts a day. So um, he had all sorts of normal excuses. And, you know, he, you know, after a little bit of badgering on my part, fessed up that he knew he wasn't really doing the real work. He then recommitted to it, but I gave him a different challenge. I told him that if he sets five pre-qualified listing appointments, whether he does it on his first contact that particular day or whether it takes 100 contacts that particular day, as long as he sets one pre-qualified listing appointment a day, that's a successful day. And I'm going to tell you right now psychologically what's going to happen. Because he's going to have – the uh, ability to and he does have the mindset and he's developing the skill set to set an appointment he's going to you watch and i'll tell you guys about this next week after i have my next coaching call with him he will start setting at least one appointment a day and he'll do it probably within five um five contacts or less because he knows after he sets that pre-qualified listing appointment he doesn't have to make any more contacts it's all a head game he's playing on himself which is brilliant that's the way you do it So his business and the business that all of you guys should strive for is set a listing appointment a day and take a listing a day. Will you do that 100% of the time when you're starting? Of course not. But can you work yourself up after maybe a, a few months doing it consistently? Can you work yourself up to a point where you have the momentum, where you're taking three listings a week? You absolutely can. We have hundreds, if not thousands of agents that have been doing this consistently over the years. And so you guys got to seriously consider following in that same path because that frees you up from all the things right now that plague your profitability of your business. So guys, listen, um, Julie and I have got to go. We have other uh, Zoom meetings today. If you need us for anything, you can always text me directly at 512-758-0206. Text me directly at 512-758-0206, especially if you guys want to talk about being partners with Julie and I at eXp. Realty. We're always interested to have that conversation with you. Text us directly at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com.